Welcome to Think Queerly, a podcast about human-hearted leadership for queer-thinking people. Well, today I want to get right into things with you, and I'm going to talk about self-sabotage. And I believe self-sabotage is a shame-filled or shameful misnomer, a misnaming that has been perpetuated by personal development. And I'm going to tell you, explain to you how you can actually expand your comfort zone using a simple process. In other words, how can you get more of what you want from life? How can you create the changes that you know you need to make to either succeed at a goal or to start a new practice, a morning routine or behavior? And if you feel like or if you believe that you can't get what you want because somehow deep down inside of yourself, you're self-sabotaging. I'm going to help you understand why that's a mistake. And you've been led to believe this because people haven't seen it in an entirely different way. So I've been recently reading um, an author, Benjamin Hardy, and he's one of the uh, top personal development authors on Medium. He's written a number of books, all in the personal development uh, psychology field. And his work is not new to me. I've been reading this pretty much the entire time I've been writing, publishing on Medium. But I came across a new article that he wrote in early August, and it prompted me to resubscribe to his newsletter. So what what he wrote in that particular article, and I will have the links uh, available in the show notes for you. What Hardy wrote in the article, along with what I learned in the uh, free webinar replay that I got to watch when I became a subscriber to his website, triggered a profound awareness in me. And it wasn't really anything new that he wrote in itself, but Sometimes it's just the right time, the right place, the right order of ideas that triggers a response. And since then, I've been doing my own coaching work. I've been coaching myself to get clarity on what's not been working for me and how I'm approaching my business and my marketing and what I can do to change that. And this short story, I'm going to go into detail about this in another podcast, is I'm all over the place because I have a lot of ideas, but these ideas I realize have brought me to this point for me to create my one big thing, my way of queer leadership book, uh, which will be looking at principles that we can use to lead uh, more human heartedly to be the change that we want to see in the world. Okay, now, because I'm on Benjamin Harding's mailing list now, I get regular updates and he publishes a lot. So I was reading his latest article, 5am Club, Turn your alarm clock into a trigger. And I noticed that he used the term self-sabotage a lot, especially when you're not accomplishing your goals. And then he used the term again in another article that I clicked on and bothered me enough that I began writing this very article that's this podcast now here. And I just want to say that what I'm going to talk about is not an attack on Benjamin Hardy whatsoever, because I'm not going to mention him anymore. In fact, I'm only going to be referring to the problematic phrase, self-sabotage. Now, I used to think that self-sabotage made sense until I learned how to see it differently, thanks to 
neuroscience. Now here's the thing. There's no such thing as self-sabotage. The way we've used language to come up with such a term is, is a shameful way to criticize and judge yourself or for others to blame you for your lack of success or succeeding at a particular task or a goal. But if self-sabotage isn't a thing, then why did we come up with this term in the first place? What's the reason for not doing what you know you need to do to get what you want? What's the reason for not doing what you know you need to do to get what you want? Well, it lies in the triad of comfort, prediction, and response. So let me address this really sick elephant in the room, first of all, which is the shame that is associated with self-sabotage. And to get over this shameful error that's been perpetuated throughout personal development and to toss the concept into the trash of, thank goodness, we now know better, we need to understand the difference between shame and guilt. So what is shame? Well, shame encompasses the emotions about who you are and how you feel about yourself when you've done something wrong. So for example, that you're not good enough, that you're a bad person, or that you're broken. And you can make yourself feel shame, and others can shame you if you allow them to, and you believe what they say about you, thus diminishing your self-worth. So shame is how you feel about who you are or who you are not. Here's some examples. You are reading or hearing or speaking with a coach, an author, or you see an advertisement that tells you that you don't have enough willpower or motivation and you believe that and you shame yourself for that. You judge yourself with thoughts like, what's wrong with me? And why can't I be successful? Why am I always broke? Why can't I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Why do my relationships always fall apart? Or other people tell you that you're a bad person, or you're less equal, or you don't deserve to live because you're trans, gay, lesbian, black, or any other label or identity that makes that other person uncomfortable. Now, guilt, on the other hand, is about how you feel about what you did or what you didn't do. Now, when you feel guilt, it's an awareness that relates to your choices or behaviors, and it's not about who you are at the core. It's not about your values or your worth. If you feel shame, you feel bad about yourself. But when you feel guilty, you recognize that you made a bad choice, which you can correct or you can apologize for if, if it's something in relation to someone else, but it has nothing to do with your self-worth. And Guilt really is preferable to shame in the grand scheme of things when you think about these two terms. Some examples of guilt. I wish I had gotten up earlier this morning as planned to work on my book. So you just didn't get up early enough, but you're not judging yourself. I feel bad that I didn't show up on time and kept my friend waiting. You could argue, well, there's an emotion there, but you're just recognizing that you could have been more punctual. You're not saying, I'm a horrible person that I stood my friend up or I made them wait for a half an hour. Finally, I don't feel great about missing my exercise this morning. Well, you don't feel great. It's just like a loose way of saying, yeah, I know it would have been better for me. I would have felt better. I maybe would have been more awake. I would have had more energy. I'll do better tomorrow. So let's look at this from my perspective as a coach, putting on my coach's hat right now, 
in February, I've mentioned this in other podcasts, I enrolled in a year-long coaching certification called Mind Map, taught by my coach, Dax Moy. And it's a program that teaches coaches how to apply the lessons from neuroscience in coaching directly. So that helps me work with my clients to get more focus clarity, direction, and to create healthy neuroassociations that minimize threat or stress and lead to more efficient and effective and lasting personal transformation. Because ultimately, if you're wanting to change and improve or you're wanting to hire a coach, you want results. So in the very first lesson of the program, I was asked this question. Do I believe that people are lazy, weak-willed, and self-sabotaging, or is it something else? Now, if I believed that people were lazy and self-sabotaging, my approach would be didactic. I would be telling people what to do and how to act. I would be giving them all the answers and the suggestions, and I'd be saying things to them like, well, no pain, no gain, and no more excuses. Just get off your butt. Come on, just do it. Eek, right? Nobody likes that. But for those past beliefs that I've had, I sincerely apologize because both to myself and others I apologize because I've espoused the idea of self-sabotage because I believed it was true until probably just this year. So I wrote something in 2018 and it's one of my most read articles. It's called Why I'm Not Good Enough, My Dirty Gay Secret. Here's just a snippet that I wrote, and I'm quoting myself. There are many reasons for not achieving your goals or resolutions. A big reason is self-sabotage. Oh, Darren. The dictionary definition of sabotage is a treacherous action to defeat or hinder a cause or endeavor. Treacherous may seem like a harsh word in the context of goal achievement, but when we add the word self in front of sabotage, the meaning of the word treacherous is all the more potent. Why would we consciously deny ourselves achievement, betterment, or greatness? End quote. Why indeed. Now, thank goodness, I now know a lot better and I know that self-sabotage is a harmful concept and I'm happy to share disinformation with you. It's simply based on a misunderstanding, a misuse of language, and a past perspective that simply has done far more harm than good to individuals who then have shamed themselves for feeling like they can never get what they want out of life. And even though I had the best intentions in 2018 in that article, and I spoke from the heart, and I was very vulnerable with sharing my personal experience, boy, I look back now and realize how harmful that was on my own beliefs and my self-worth. I perpetuated my own gay shame and found myself trapped in its grip. Now, you see, most of us, most people are good people who want good things for themselves and for other people. But the issue is, most people don't know what they don't know. A case in point is me not knowing anything different about self-sabotage. But most often the reason we don't know what we don't know is that our unconscious programming 
is running our day-to-day lives and we have no clue about how to reprogram our brain, about how to create new programming. So in other words, our unconscious programming includes all the habits, the routines, the behaviors, the reactions, the movements that we do without even thinking about them. We're not conscious of these things. Sometimes we're aware. So take, for example, you're having a conversation with a friend in the passenger seat and you're driving the car, you're on the highway, you're going 120 kilometers an hour, there's a lot of traffic, you're looking in your side mirror, your rear view mirror, you're paying attention to the GPS instructions because you don't know where you're going and your phone is telling you that the next exit is coming up in 500 meters and you're going to have to merge over two lanes to the right and you're looking for traffic and you're still having this conversation with your friend. How many things are you doing going at this phenomenal speed? You're not thinking about these things. You're not thinking about every single action in this moment of driving and talking, right? But what about sitting down to dinner and all the complex movements that are required for you to use a knife and a fork to like cut apart a piece of steak and then you lift up that piece of steak that's on the fork into your mouth and you put it into your mouth. You don't think about all of the things that have to happen from your posture to your shoulder to your elbow to your wrist to your fingers to your mouth opening to something that seems as simple as sticking to your morning routine that maybe includes your goal to run five days a week, rain or shine, at 6 a.m. So the problem about change is that people are stuck in a comfort zone, and that comfort zone is based upon prediction and response. That's our unconscious programming, our patterns and behaviors. And to make anything from the smallest change to the largest of personal transformations we need to make what are called new neuro associations, which are based on what we already know. This means that we build upon what we know in order to minimize resistance to, to change, to something new, to learning something new, and to doing something new, which will then help us in accomplishing what we set out to do. Now, prediction and response, as I've said, is our deeper subconscious programming And like the examples I've mentioned already, it's also a behavioral or a mental strategy, whatever you prefer to call it, that keeps us safe and free from stress or threat. And this has to do with the most ancient part of the brain, the amygdala, also called the reptilian brain, which is constantly asking, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Now, the amygdala is looking for what it knows about the world, the prediction. And that informs how we're going to respond. And those responses are saved. That's our programmed set of responses to various prediction, all based on past events and repeated learning experiences that have created those predictions and reactions. Now, when we know what we know, and when we know what we think we know, we feel safe because we have prediction and response. But as soon as we face something entirely new, or we have to learn how to do something differently, that's the moment we face the uncertainty of not having prediction and therefore not having an appropriate response. And this is the moment where we either choose to challenge our comfort zone, and if we do it in a way that doesn't feel so threatening, we can actually create new change. And that Change could, like I, like I said, could be a habit or it could be moving towards a bigger goal that you want to accomplish. 
But what about if this is a really extreme situation? It's a really big change. It could feel really threatening, like I won't have enough time, or it's going to be so stressful, or it's going to be so hard. And then we start reacting, like with what I just said, oh, it's too hard, it's too difficult, I can't do it, it's going to stress me out. Or it'll make us lash out in an argument in some situation, perhaps regarding another person who's telling us we really need to do this. And maybe it's your boss telling you that they're totally dissatisfied uh, with this work you've done on the project that you've been working on for the last three months. And then you get into an argument. So you get into fight, the fight, flight or freeze aspect of the, the amygdala. So your boss starts yelling at you and you yell back. One scenario. Or you just decide to avoid this situation with your boss entirely and you just you just flee. Maybe you just like run out of the office. Dramatic, I know, but it could happen. Or just think of perhaps an argument with your partner. You were like, I just can't deal with this right now. And you leave. Or you shut down emotionally. Like maybe that argument with the boss, you just sit there and take it. And maybe you start to feel shame, which is a kind of freezing. You're not fighting and you're not fleeing. So to to successfully make change, which is essentially challenging your comfort zone, you have to minimize threat as much as possible so that it's manageable. Now let's take an example. If you were to learn how to barbell squat for the very first time and you have no instruction and if you believe that it's an entirely new movement, It's going to be very difficult, right? It may seem really daunting. It may seem scary. You might think, how am I going to do this? Am I going to hurt myself? I've heard about people really hurting their backs doing the squat. Well, as a former fitness and nutrition coach, I used to absolutely love teaching both the squat and the deadlift, the the two big Olympic lifts, the primary lifts in strength training, because I loved breaking down the movement into easy-to-execute parts. That was my thing, my geek out. I love to make it easy for my clients to understand. I wanted to teach my clients, and I did teach them this, that these were primal and primary movements that they've been doing since they could first walk. So when I would teach the barbell squat, I'd I'd create a new neuro association for my client. I would ask them to stand up and face a flat bench with their back to the bench, and then I'd ask them to sit down. They would sit down and I would say, congratulations, and clap my hands. You just did your first squat. And they'd laugh and I'd laugh. And there's something special happening here. We're making that moment of learning fun and we're creating a positive emotional response. So we're reducing threat. I would then explain that they squat every single day, all day long. When they go to the toilet, when they sit down for dinner, when they sit at their chair at work, up and down, up and down, up and down, they squat. And then the next steps in the coaching process would involve teaching the parts of the squat movement to prepare the client for how they would use weights. And that would then be teaching new movement patterning, which is just another way of saying learning a new habit, making a new practice. So how we make these changes require new practices, new patterns, and new perspectives. Most often, the biggest reason that a client chooses to reach out and work with me is that they're stuck. That may show up for them as a lack of focus or direction or that 
they, they've tried several ways to succeed at their goal, only to give up or to feel too much frustration to continue. But they still want that thing. And they're looking for an answer to solve their problem. So when my clients, or for example yourself, are struggling or frustrated, it's because you're not happy. You're trying to fight against your subconscious programming that's designed to keep you safe by doing things that by avoiding doing things that take you too far out of your comfort zone, right? And it might seem like a paradox that we have to challenge our comfort zone to learn something new, but our, you know, ancient brains are trying to keep us safe. But this is how we create and approach change. So as I spoke about earlier, to create effective and lasting change, which is also a way of saying how to accomplish your goals, just that goals are usually associated with it, date in the future, but they don't have to be, you need to first build upon what you already know to reduce the threat response. So when you learn something new that you can associate with what you know, it makes it easier to incorporate into who you are and what you're doing. Like I said, teaching the client how to squat, sit down. They sit on the bench. It's like, there, you squatted. I'm like, oh, I know how to sit on a bench. Oh, then now I can build upon them knowing that they know how to sit on a bench And then teach them, well, how they could sit on that bench holding a bar on their back. So this is the basis for making new neural associations that challenge your comfort zone, which is just your sets of predictions and responses, as opposed to confronting it, which only ends up as resistance. Okay, how do we do this? There's many ways to get to this point, but there's a process that I will use in coaching at this point, it's called the AIR process, A-I-R. And personal transformation is a process that requires conscious awareness, focus, clarity, direction, desire, and practice. When we get to this point, AIR stands for attention, intention, and repetition. And I have to give credit to my coach, Dax Moy, who came up with this. Now, attention. You need to be crystal clear about why you want to make any change in your life, no matter how small it is. Why you want this new goal. Why you want this new habit. Why you want this new morning routine. And there's many ways to really get clear on your why. You can write about it. You can journal about it. You can talk about how you want to feel. You can look into the future to get a sense of how much the person that you want to be that you will become when you practice this habit or when you accomplish this goal. That will give you the focus and the clarity about what you want. And it could be things like an improved financial situation, better physical health, a healthier relationship, whatever it is that you need. Then once we've got clarity on the attention We deal with the intention and how you feel about anything dictates response and reaction, or I should say response or reaction, but fear and threat are going to cause a reaction and they will not take you towards your goal. They're only going to try and keep you safe, but positive, powerful, joyful, impactful emotions and feelings. When you have that, That's going to override your discomfort, your comfort zone. 
And it's going to help you to want to keep trying, to keep practicing, to do whatever you need to do to get what you want. Now, if your intention is really laissez-faire, like, oh, whatever, I guess I could try and get up at 6 a.m. every morning to write in my journal. I'm not going to set my alarm. I'll just like hopefully wake up on time. You're just going to fail, right? You know this. But I'm also not suggesting that you rah, rah, rah yourself into what you want with like fake and, you know, false emotions. You, you, positive emotions that aren't really felt aren't truly intentional. So I want you to think back to something that you really wanted at one point in your life. You really wanted this thing, but you now have it. You accomplished it. You got it. You made it happen. Can you remember what, what you felt during the process of accomplishing that goal? And how long did you sustain or get into those feelings to take the actions you needed to take to get what you wanted? How, how easier, how much easier was it for you to pursue, to chase that goal when you were feeling those amazing feelings about how you knew you would feel once you accomplished that goal or that habit? Simply put, the more powerful your emotions, the greater your intentions, right? Now, finally, repetition. Now, they say repetition is the mother of invention. But repetition is the progenitor of any new habit, any goal, any successful practice, and all of our programming. A little baby starts by crawling, and then it starts to try and stand, and try and stand, and try and stand, and it keeps repeating, and it keeps repeating until it finally masters the movement. My client learning to squat won't get it the first time around. The good strength training coach knows when to stop the client from over-practicing, from going into frustration. So we need to do repetition with good intention with good emotional states of mind. So when you've associated your desire with the feelings that make it easy to engage in the actions that you need to do to practice, you are more successfully, more efficiently, and more quickly going to accomplish your goal. So your practice requires repetition to get a result. And practice does not make perfect Instead, practice makes for improvement, which is just another way of saying getting what you want. And your practice needs to be done repeatedly until you have that new habit, solid, happening automatically, or you've accomplished your goal. And so this is, that's it. This is the great thing about this AIR process for creating change, because each step will tell you a lot about yourself. Now, personal transformation it's like anything. It requires work. It requires this conscious awareness of what you really want. And then the most intentional emotions. Project yourself into the future. 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year. What, it, what kind of experience do you want to have in that time that will be acquired by you practicing this new um set of tasks or goals for, for getting what you want, for improving your relationship, for increasing your 
uh, improving your financial situation, for finishing writing your book, for doing all the training necessary so that you can qualify for a marathon. So when you go through really dealing with the attention, the why, you'll become very aware of any reasons that show up for resistance to making that particular change. And when you know what those reasons for resistance are, you now have something to work with. And you don't need to blindly leap into the darkness of, you can do it and no more excuses. Because that does, that's, doesn't last and willpower isn't sustainable. When you know what's holding you back, then you can do the kinds of practices that won't cause stress or threat. And the more powerful your emotional intentions, the easier it will be for you to make the new neural associations. Simply put, if you're not feeling it, you will not get it, right? That's the elegance, the simple elegance of having a powerful intention. And lastly, repetition without having a compelling reason, your attention, or strong enough feeling for wanting to do the work, your intention is only going to deflate you and it will not motivate you. You'll just remain stuck in your comfort zone, but thankfully, it won't be sabotage. It won't be self-sabotage. It will just be that you've pushed yourself too hard and you need to revisit your strategy to figure out what steps you need to take and how you need to feel about those steps to move forward in a way that challenges but does not confront your comfort zone. Sounds like we need to stand up and get a breath of fresh air. Thanks for listening.